afternoon or good evening, depending on where you may be. And welcome to another musical edition of the Jackass Cast, a podcast brought to you by Corner Gas Fan Corner or www.cornergasfan.com if you prefer. Chuck that address into the old Googleator and it will send its minions winging down its twisty, turny pipes to my website and pull it. They pull it, they will, straight to your screen, so you can see all that is to behold at my wonderful site. All the latest interviews, news, uh, needlepoint, relating to Corner Gas, Canada's greatest sitcom of all time, ever of all time. Now, today's episode is a really good one, because I have one of my all-time favourite people on the planet to chat to, Mr. Craig Northey of Odds fame. His band Odds, or The Odds, if you prefer. That can be quite a controversial subject, I know. Is it The Odds or Odds? I know the boys don't really mind either way. Technically, it's just Odds. But you won't get chucked out of one of their concerts if you chuck a cheeky The at the beginning of discussing their name or their work. So don't worry about it. Whatever floats your boat is fine. Now, Craig's an extremely busy man. I know time of recording. We recorded this about a month ago. He was putting out all sorts of new music videos and little pieces of musical loveliness out there on the internet while we were all in lockdown to keep us amused. He was doing it with Odds and his other 7,000 bands like the Stephen Page Trio and Trans Canada Highwaymen. He's an extremely busy fellow, and obviously he made all those videos in isolation. They used clever hoofadoofery to make it look like everyone was working together, but they're all locked away in their own basements or toilets or something while they were recording. Good acoustics. So Craig sat down with me for about an hour, and we discussed music and his career, things he's got going on. And I had a really good laugh as well. It was really good fun. Really funny. Have a listen to what he's got to say. And I'll chuck a bit of my own nonsense on at the end. Like I usually do. That's it. You sound a bit croaky. <laughs> That's just me. It's my personality. It's all this singing. I tell you, you put out more in the last two days. <clears throat> you could have an album off of everything that's come out recently. Might be a little short. Might be a <laughs> short. Yeah. Or an EP. There you go. But everyone else is well, your family well, and everyone's okay? Yeah, I think we're like anybody else. There's various portions of us working at important things and others working at unimportant things trying to bide the time. Crazy times. I was wondering whether I should mention things like that because it will age this podcast something awful. When it goes into a a library of Congress or something for being of historical importance. I I don't think you need to think that far ahead. I think let it be dated and charming. Ah, that's true. I didn't think of the charming aspect. You can talk about CDs and Commodore 64 computers. Eight tracks. CD-ROMs even. Blimey. I've probably still got some of those knocking around in my loft somewhere. Yeah, well, we could just pretend it was a different time. Maybe we'll talk like we're from the future. Most people look at me like I'm from the future when I'm talking to them, to be fair. Well, the fact that you're wearing a jetpack, that's always the giveaway for people talking to you like you're from the future. I upgraded. I got the exploding bazooka boots. Excellent. They get you there a lot quicker. I hear there's a recall, though. Probably because that'd be the solar version, the electric version. So you only get a bit of mileage, but if you have to stop somewhere and plug them in and get them going again. 
I thought it was directly related to the exploding. Ah, that explains my lack of limbs. I yeah, there you go. I wondered what that was all about. Suddenly started walking around in circles a lot. I've got a whole list of Pulitzer Prize winning questions here. Fire away. I was thinking I hadn't really covered because last time we, we did an interview proper, we just really talked about corner gas. You can talk about anything you'd like to talk about. How's the work on season three going? It's going really well. It's... Uh, Fortunately for us, animation doesn't really sleep and it's on its own schedule. So and people work in their in their isolation quite a lot. So not as much has changed about the production process, although we're meeting by in the methods that we're meeting right now, we're meeting virtually rather than in person. Yeah. My favorite picture that came, I can't remember if you put it up or Brent did. Are you working on, on the score in the back of the tour van? Yeah, that's not happening right now because there's no shows. So uh, I like working on it in my studio better. And, and my studio is, is about a 30-second walk from my back door. So I'm I'm okay. I can work. Oh, nice. I was wondering if we, if you do that regular, if, if you hit some sort of dodgy pothole or speed bump or something, you hit a massive bend by going, and, oh, actually, did any of that actually happen and end up in the cut? <laughs> Yeah, some of it did end up in the cut. Some of the, yeah, a lot of it does end up in the cut, but there's a lot of noise when you're plugged in or on battery power in the back of a van. So some of the tracks that you do with a microphone have to be redone. A lot of the line input things, sampled orchestral instruments, etc., are the ones that that I did in the van. I thought that was just atypical. I think of what I consider your worth ethic to be, because you seem to be the hardest working man, certainly in Canadian music, let, let alone music of the world, I'd say. Oh, I think there's plenty more hardworking. It's, that's a, that's a grand scale to be measured on, but I think <laughs> I just take on a bunch of things and I end up multitasking quite often, working on other projects while I'm doing other projects. Because I was trying to add up how many bands you're in at the moment. I, I think at one, two, three, four, four. I got seven written down. Really? Yeah. Wow. I that didn't includes that. solo work, though. I did include solo stuff. So. Oh, I don't um, count. I don't count on my own. I'm only as good as my collaborators. Oh, I don't know. See, I I was I was listening to Giddy Up yesterday mm -hmm. just to try and I was trying to think of new things to, to say and uh, that other people, you know, listeners and readers might not have heard before. I, I have to admit, it's probably the, the one album I have listened to the least out of all your work. But I don't know why that is because it's, it's so good. Did you do that all on your own? Did you play all the instruments or? No, no. Um... Doug Elliott and Pat Stewart from The Odds played on it, bass and drums, and a lot of the stuff is programming and things in the studio, but it wasn't at, done at the time that, another time such as this, this COVID-19 thing was uh, in North America was 9-11, where things kind of shut down for cross-border traffic and People were not working for a little bit, and I was at the time a songwriter in and going back and forth to Los Angeles, and I couldn't. So I just went out to my garage with, in my bathrobe and cup of coffee and, and finished that record. So a lot of it was me, and then I would employ someone of my friends at, uh, to come over and do something magical to it. I particularly like Giddy Up's title track and the version of Write It in Lightning on there. Yes. It's just a little, a little bit more sort of stripped back than the one that's on 
cheerleader. Originally, the story was that publisher that I worked for in with for I don't know whether you work for a publisher or with one in Los Angeles was connected to a group called the Who. And he went through his roster to pick out a few artists that he felt were influenced by them and said, hey, the Who have decided to try this project where they're going to listen to outside songs and see what someone else's interpretation of what they should do would be. So do you want to give it a crack? And I did. And I did a, a demo of it initially live with Doug and Pat from The Odds in my studio and sent it off and to my surprise, he said, oh, they got together and they decided that they're going to put your song on hold and do it later. Hold on a song means that nobody else can record it at the time. Yeah. I was blown away. Then things got changed in their world. John Entwistle died and that project just sort of disappeared. So my publisher said, I said, hey, can I, should I just record that song on this thing I'm doing? And he said, oh, yeah, go ahead, do that. But I didn't want it to sound too much like The Who, so I did it. I altered it to fit where I was at musically at the time. Then later on, when we did Cheerleader, Murray joined our band, and we were making a full album. The other guy said, hey, what about that song you did? And we ended up doing it for the, the album. See, I knew that The Who had something to do with it. it in, interesting side note come fact. My mum used to work with Roger Daltrey's sister. That is fantastic. Yeah, in the uh, ad, what would they do? In the insurance office, that's what it was. But she never met him so oh. as much as she would have liked to back then because that was in their heyday as well. Did she help insure him in his heyday? Well, I think she ought to have done. Well, that, <laughs> he probably that would needed have... insuring. <laughs> That's what I mean. That would have been a precarious thing to take on. You know, she they'd probably have to pay out. Oh, yeah, yeah. On, on, on many occasions. But she's, I'll have to ask her. Perhaps yeah. she's got some sort of documentation we can sell to Sotheby's or something. <laughs> yeah, or eBay. Yeah, you never know. On Cheerleader, it's got that sort of hooey feel, feel to it. You can, it's a slightly, uh, for want of a better description, heavier sounding version of the song. Yes, it is. It, yeah. I mean, I never got to meet them either. They were a big influence on me particularly, and I think the other guys. It was just us. Yeah, I don't know if it's the same in the UK, but here, and it would be with football in the UK, but here I always liken it to the game of road hockey, which is a Canadian pastime for kids where they yeah. throw a couple nets out on the street and play with a tennis ball or a, you know this orange ball just play hockey and you usually as a child you would yell out which of your favorite players you were for the game you know like yeah. a, a young me would have said if i were in the uk that i was georgie best here you know i i would you, you'd yell out who you were and i think that's kind of what red and lightning is like <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? who else influenced you in your younger days well it's pretty obvious when you listen to odds music any or anything that i've ever done the beatles Mm. because as as one of the former members of this band once said if you don't sound anything like the beatles you're trying hard not to so <laughs> it's it's kind of, if you're our age anyway i think the stones the beatles nick Lowe, the sort of pub rock movement out of london was big for me in high school but i, I think a real pivotal thing I, I went through everything as a kid from classical music in my youth because my I played violin and my mother's a classical musician, my sister is, and oh, okay. and 
I came up that way. But then when I got into rock and roll, it was the New York Dolls and everything from there to pub rock to uh, progressive rock. And when punk happened, the first wave of it, it was a real revolution for everybody involved in making music as teenagers because it meant you could do it yourself. It didn't matter what you were into. It showed that it was possible to record yourself, promote yourself, get all the things done yourself and speak about where you came from. So I would say the biggest influence musically was the Beatles as a little kid. And then what happened then? All the stuff from Elvis Costello to the Stranglers to the Clash all really influenced me heavily to get off and get going. I was a musician. Uh, I tried to be. You're always a musician. I still play. My mother was a musician. She's retired since, but she never wanted me to do it as a trade. She thought it it would spoil the magic of it for me, which is an interesting thing for Mm. somebody who's actually doing it (laughs) to tell their child. But what she was saying is, you're a musician. You don't need to be playing professionally or to do those kind of things to be a musician. There are lots of people who don't do what I do for their living or full time who are much better than I am. They have greater facility at their instruments, they're soulful. It's really not about what part of your life it takes up, it's just that it's part of your life. From listening to your CDs or any of the thousands of bands you're in, it's quite obvious that you have a broad spectrum of likes and influences. When I was a musician, I I started off, there, there was no music in my house. When I was younger, really, my dad would occasionally listen to Dwayne Eddy, the twangy guitar man, Peter Gunn and the like. Amazing. That is amazing. I love uh, Dwayne Eddy. Oh, me too. I mean, I, I have to. It's um, I can't listen to him now because it makes me think of my dad and it gets makes upsets me a little bit. <laughs> but right. I tell you what, no, no word of a lie. I hadn't listened to Dwayne for, for years and my dad passed away. And for the next, I know, two, three months or so, I heard nothing else but on the television, on radio. Very strange, that was. That's the field of dreams that music is, really. There's all kinds of magical coincidences. And my wife is a distant relation of Dwayne Eddy. Really? Yes. Wow. Very distant, but still, I'll take that one. That's Yeah, absolutely. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, he really is a a legend. But that's literally all I grew up listening to a bit of buddy holly maybe but then when i was slightly sort of pre-teens i suppose i listened to pop music like everybody else does but it wasn't until i started decided to learn guitar because i needed some way for the girls to like me because i'm not the prettiest fella in the world and i thought the guitar might do it for me (laughs) we we all shared that motivation Oh, I think so. I think it's fairly commonplace. But my guitar teacher introduced me to Jeff Healy. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. And it was when Cedar Light had just come out, his first album, his uh, seminal album. And at the same time, I was sort of getting into the Blues Brothers. And so Soul, so the Stack Soul, and then Jeff Healy came along. That was me done. I kind of just went for blues and nothing else. And yeah. it stuck with me forever. And it, it, I'd say I'm fairly blinkered, but it, it doesn't do me well for when I was playing out and I was trying to get into bands and what have you, or play at jams even now, because mm-hmm. I haven't got that stretch. And 
it's like you say you try not to sound like the Beatles or I'm forever trying not to sound like Stevie Ray Vaughan <laughs> well it was a big he was a big influence and there was a really big boom at the time that you got into that in those kind of players so you know there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that I, I sometimes wonder whether more of a profound niche or would have helped me in some ways but I I was too interested in everything I just kept moving and I liked so many styles of music I'm sort of starting to get that way in the last sort of I don't know five or six years I suppose and in some ways that that's because of listening to yourself and where I've had to go with the website and listen to people like Colin James and Jan Arden and all sorts of you know and you find things and I start thinking why haven't I listened to this before well Colin James is a great example of what where your tastes can go from the blues because he was raised on acoustic blues and early folk and and those kind of things and he was a friend and protege of Stevie Ray Vaughan and he turned out to do so many diverse things within Roots music and he just follows his nose. This week yeah. he's he's into jump blues, and this this week he's into you know neo folk, and he just kind of does what he feels like. But there is that centering influence of the blues. I've been listening to Fuse a lot recently. Yeah, and the first time I heard, listened to it because I, I I subscribe to um, Amazon Music, and they've got that great recommendations thing at the bottom. So I just hit pit things like that randomly. I knew of Colin James kind of, but I didn't really listen to him. So I hit that listen to Fuse just because it was the first one that came up. And I could tell that you'd had some sort of input into it, which was, I, I think that was kind of nice, is that I smell a hint of Craig here. <laughs> I'm glad you can smell me across the ocean. Oh, I, yeah, I didn't like to say anything, but it, it's out there now. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Of lavender. <laughs> Absolutely. Patchouli, I thought, more myself. Expensive leather-bound books. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think um, there was definitely a whiff there anyway of course yeah. when you're writing for somebody else like Colin or, or, or any of them Stephen say do you have to get in a certain mindset like writing for them or do you just write a song and say this is what I've done what do you think of this well that's a good question frequently I'm with that person so the mindset is is set by being with them and talking for a while about life and where you're at and a subject will come up and that might be the subject of the song it might not but it you're really informed by especially if that other person is the person who's going to sing the song or perform the song you're really informed by where that person is at and the commonality between the two of you at the time because right. anytime you make music you're giving something of yourself you can't really imagine yourself into the person's life you have to do in the music what you feel is the common feeling that you share and i think um when i've written to submit a song to somebody without them being there for instance i did a song for roseanne cash which was big for me because i was such a huge fan and it was such a random occurrence that she contacted me she and her husband john i did this 20 years ago anyway i remember it was the first time i'd ever tried to just write something for somebody else and give it to them and yeah. it was I, I didn't really know what to do so i 
listened to everything that she'd ever done and uh, <laughs> listened to it again. And then I realized a few things about where she came from as a person that were the same as where I came from. So I wrote from that position. And it was it was using the music to build a relationship. And, and afterwards, we've been friends ever since. But it's that's how I figured out what was it about me that felt the same way that she might here and there. And do you enjoy writing for other people more than or the writing for yourself more, which, which is the more satisfying? I've learned that I enjoy them both. I used to think that I enjoyed more doing it for myself because nobody was saying, I don't know, I'm not sure about that word or can we make that better? I was just moving on with whatever my crazy idea is. And I often think that my own output is a little weirder. And I like that about it. So I like both. It's a little weirder because I don't have another talented musician helping me. Yeah. <laughs> I just leave all, I leave the rough edges in. I don't spend much time making it for anyone else's consumption. The only thing is a lot of the music that is deigned to be my music is actually a band's music it's the odds and it's been 32 years of working with the same couple of people so when, when i'm working on a song before i present it to them i usually leave some pieces of the song out because i know that songs are better when somebody can bring themselves to the table unhindered by your perception oh, so okay. I, I sometimes leave little sections out sometimes i finish the whole thing off and say, let's do it this way. And there'll be a little silence and somebody will say, well, can I just change this a little bit? And that's the thing that <laughs> makes it better. So I, I think that a lot of those songs are informed by my long relationship with the couple people and my real understanding of who they are in the same way that I, I went and tried to learn through music what somebody what our commonalities might be i've learned through music and being with those people where we see things the same way it's the kind of dynamic of a band like the odds i guess there you are the the boss i suppose is, is that how it works no, and then it not at all comes. not at all no, 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 no i'm not the boss at all i it's a true band and that's what a band is it, it's a democracy and it's um it's driven, it can be driven at any time by any one person. I just maybe talk a little more and I'm more word driven. So frequently my words are used and if I'm going to sing them, then I usually make them. And it's kind of, we always say it's Doug's band because I think that Doug is really the center of how it all works. I don't know how to describe it more than that, but he's, all those guys are such I always feel like the worst musician in the band. And I think that's common with a lot of people when they're in a band. If they're really enjoying themselves, they think they're the worst. They have a little bit of an imposter syndrome. Yeah. Those guys are just so good at what they do. And and Doug is the guy who kind of knows what's going on at all times. He's, a, he's the heart of the band. Well, I think everybody would be competing for that. <laughs> Everybody wants to be the heart. Nobody wants to be the brains. I know which organ I'd like to be. <laughs> That's an awful thing to say, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Obviously, lucky enough to get to see you all play. Oh, God, was it a year and a half ago now? Mm -hmm. And it just staggered me. Well, I don't know why, to be honest. But, you know, it's like a 
well-oiled machine, I suppose. I'm looking for a, di a different analogy, but it, it just amazing how you all work together in this choir, especially as that particular concert. It was, I'm right, thinking that was the first time you'd played Good Weird Feeling all the way through. Yeah. How long did it take you to put that together? I mean, it have been so long. And some of the songs you hadn't played at all live, is that right? Yes, it's true, yeah. That was a really fun thing for us, which we were kind of loathing before because we saw so many bands doing that with their old albums and we just didn't want to. We wanted to play stuff we'd done recently and not put in that kind of effort on something from the past. And then we discovered an interesting wrinkle where we could invite people who might have been influenced or enjoyed the records as young people to sing them sing a few songs with us and then we thought oh that makes it fun i think it took us two rehearsals to put it together but we did our homework we learned what to play separate from each other before getting together uh it took it took a bunch of homework to sort of listen to the records and try to remember what we did and and on songs that we'd actually kept playing for a couple decades we had got it all wrong by the time it came to playing those songs now they're quite different than they were on the record. Well, it kind of proves my point then. Now, two, two rehearsals and that was it. That's amazing. <laughs> I think you've met Paul Forgs, who's our sound mixer yes. and, and tour manager, and he was pretty pivotal in listening hard to the record and saying, well, you use this. What is this sound you have here? And then we'd go, oh, that's that. This is some tiny Casio sampler. Well, let's let's find that again. And he was instrumental in helping us make it sound like people were listening to a giant stereo while we were playing it live. Oh. And it was something that we was kind of profound for us because uh, after those nights, we realized we'd gone on tour for making albums. And sometimes before you do the tour, you go on a promo tour in the old days and you play your whole album live on a radio station or from for some kind of broadcast and that's the only time you ever do it and then you go off and you play shows and within those shows you play a, a few songs five songs from the new record within the show and the rest of the tour you're playing stuff from your other albums uh, and whatever else you strikes your fancy so you really don't do what we did and you don't watch an audience staring at you listening to your whole album because even when you did the broadcast you can't see how people are reacting what songs make them excited or spur an emotion in them it was really fun for us to play the album in front of people from beginning to end and watch the arc of it and watch how they responded to it it was a, a rare thing i mean the, the atmosphere especially on the saturday i think it was was it for friday i can't remember the second gig it's just wow I, I i can't remember a gig where i've really felt that warmth in the room for quite yeah. a long time it's funny we aren't a big band by any sense of the word and but we have people who who it affected i suppose at some point in their lives some people when that record came out were in grade five or they were in high school or they were in university and they shared it with their family or their father liked it they were kids and they came from all over the place to this tiny club and would talk to you after and tell you a story about how the music crossed into their lives 
And some of them were quite emotional and it was really fun to fun and heartwarming to to find out that your music made that kind of a connection. When I was there, it's the first time I've been in amongst a whole bunch of odds fans, I suppose. And being from England, that helped too, because you suddenly start talking to people and it's nice to have that connection. And you did hear there was one guy was, what did he, he was sitting next to, next to me on the table and uh, he was telling me a story of how um, he was quite an old fella, but he, he, him and his son had got together over it and enjoyed it so much. And he come to the gig because, so uh, yeah, I guess you get to hear things like that all the time, not just from mods, but from any of your workers. Probably. Yeah. That, that must be lovely. That must make it all worthwhile. I'm guessing. It does. It really does. It's not your song. You know, you can, you can decide what it means and try as hard as you can to convey what thought you had uh, when you're singing the song but in the end the audience decides what it means and it becomes something to them that you could never imagine it's really interesting to find out what that is finding those different sounds that you you, you needed to to put it together to make the original the original sound or, or overall again listening to giddy up the other day there's all sorts of sort of synthesized sounds and bits and bobs and i made me wonder how do you even come about like an unusual like i said like a synthesized sound or a back to front noise or something you think ah, i do you know what i need i need that thing i need it like a, a sounds like a spring hitting a uh wash pot falling into some water that's the sound I mean. <laughs> yeah <laughs> not that that's yeah. on the album but I, I off the top of my head how how do you how do you work that into the process i think uh, it, a little bit like things changed in the 60s that the orchestra which is where you went to find those tools before you know that there became more tools there became ways to alter things you know i reference revolver and those kind of psychedelic beatles records and wendy carlos and that kind of stuff as much as i can when I realize you re- realize that what is a string sound became a string machine sound, became a synth pad sound, became this. Backwards guitar was such an amazing thing because as a kid, I didn't know what the hell it was. I thought it was its own instrument. Yeah. Uh, and so I would try to play it on a guitar backwards, but front, but with an actual guitar. And it's sort of what your mind is asking for when you're composing the picture that you're trying to create or painting the picture, sorry, that you're trying to paint. You think sort of in orchestral terms, but you realize I got all these other things I can use. Why just use a violin when I can use this ebo on my guitar and and put it through this effect it sounds really cool or i can chop this up using digital process and throw it up in the air and see what happens it's quite i couldn't even begin to contemplate how that works you know it it fascinates me being frustrated musician would be the best way to put put my well it, it is it is so much like painting a balancing something where you you think at this point i feel like this needs something to happen it needs an event and what would it be would it be the crash of a pair of symbols together would it be the tiniest triangle what's the thing that it needs and so you just hunt and peck and try things until it's what you wanted and sometimes you realize later i didn't need that there and you take it out (laughs) so yeah so it's like writing a story it's like putting something to make it more exciting or more emotional yeah 
Yeah, for sure. So I suppose the cliche, to even go, go further back into the, the process, a cliche question would be what, what comes first, the tune or the words? It's different yet every time for me. I know it's it's sometimes the same for other people. They're, everybody's processes are different, but I'm always writing down words that are interesting to me in groups. And sometimes I can't stop and the thought completes itself in a whole. And that shape of those words informs what music goes wraps around it or supports it but a lot of the times i'll have music or i'll start with a sound that's interesting and start building a shape with one of the other guys or with myself and then there's maybe one small lyrical idea or the idea of something and then you start building words around it that fit the melodies that you have and that's you know it's a bit of a laborious process but oftentimes you get into a rhythm and huge chunks come out quickly did you ever have a, a situation where you, you had some words and you had a tune and didn't realize and eventually you go, oh if i put that with that and that that like two separate songs become one yeah that's happened before oftentimes you you have the tune and the melody in your head and you're thinking this is fantastic and you sit down to do it and you realize that's hey jude <laughs> i've tried and tried to write songs in the past especially when i, I, I was with couple of bands here and there and i cannot do it for love the money and like you say i think every time i come out i say well most of the things i'm doing is like a shuffle or a a jump blues or something and is it well that just sounds like muddy waters or that's a stevie ray or that it just yeah but the thing the thing is to not care the important thing is to not care whether the first attempt at it is not what you think not as good as you hoped it would be or anything like that the whole idea I've realized is it's the process. When somebody asks me what your favorite part of this whole thing is, is it playing live? Is it writing or being in the studio or none of it? And I, I used to always think it was writing, but then I realized it's all of it and it's the process of it. It's not the listening to the song later or how good it is or anything like that. My favorite part about writing is that you did something and all of a sudden out of nothing there was this thing that you created and for that minute when it's just created you go wow this is yeah. this thing didn't exist before it doesn't matter nobody's heard it yet nobody's judging you and the process by do, uh, in which you did it you had a bit of transcendence you were on your own and you were you know or you were with your friend and you were levitating in your own reality for a while. And it's that process and those hours you spend doing it that are valuable. It's interesting you saying that. In that, obviously, the most part I do these days is writing for the site. And in the last year, I taught myself how to write a screenplay. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I finished it in September. I finished my first revised draft of it. And and it was exactly that. I mean, I I love writing for the site, but I'm playing with somebody else's toys all the time. Yeah. This thing I've created from, it came from a conversation I had with Fred, actually, when I was over and I was (laughs) was drinking very strong beer in in the mountain air and we were messing about and this idea came about and I I couldn't let it go. I thought, I'm going to have a go at this. And I finished it. Never done that in my life. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? That's yeah, awesome. Oh, oh, I was, I'm really pleased that 
I got there. But like you say, it's something I created. It was never there before. And this whole story, be it, I don't know whether it's good, bad or indifferent. I'm trying to find somebody to tell me. But but nevertheless, it's there and it's there for the world to see if they want to see it. And I agree with you. It's that creating something from nothing and knowing that that, that's your... I did that. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, and keep doing it because... Uh, there's a lot of disappointment if if your goal is to have it be a, a hit or or to have it be um, noticed and recognized by others. I think that's everybody's part of their thing. They want people to feel the way they do. They want to communicate through art and communicate through what they're doing. But if it's to be a celebrity or to be noticed, it's always a disappointment. I think Mm. that I always ask people who are looking for advice uh, about how to make it in the music business. I say, I'm not in the music business. (laughs) I, I, I retired from that really early on. I just do this because I like to do it. It has, it just so happens that I'm lucky enough that it can help put food on the table. At the same time, I don't think if I didn't like it that I would do it. I wouldn't do it for any other reason than the process is what I'm saying. When you started playing as the odds, because I'm, sh- I'm sure you had other bands prior to that. I was reading actually about uh, compilation albums. What, like 86? Oh my they God! Some tracks on. You're getting more like Nardwar. <laughs> <laughs> I, I try and get the deep cuts. Yeah, um, so what was that? Just you on your own, or yeah? And what was that all about? Oh, no, I was in. I was in an earlier band, and uh, it was just a, you know, one of those battle of the bands. And they, the if you if you got in the top six, you were on this uh, album that they put out on one of the labels. I believe it was Universal, and then they had the right to sign you or not sign you, kind of thing. Didn't work out for us in the getting signed part but we we had a song on that and we got to go in the studio with a name person from Vancouver and and have that experience and put it out on that album so it was an earlier band that I was in ah I'm gonna have to try and find that now okay good luck <laughs> so we're obviously from that sort of led to playing art with odds and did it take a long time to sort of get noticed and start working your way up the ladder at that time with that band yeah of course i cared i was i was i say that i just love the process but there's nothing like an audience responding or those kind of things it is kind of addictive a great friend of mine recently passed a musician a great musician in canada said uh, he was on his alzheimer's journey and he said i don't know where this leads but i'm okay with whatever job or whatever thing i can do in the future as long as it involves applause and uh, <laughs> I think that it doesn't hurt. So you you become ambitious in those days and you want to get your music out. You want your band to be good. You want to learn new things and you're driving ahead. And I met Stephen Drake and Doug Elliott in that Spotlight 86 thing. They were in other bands and Stephen's band, he was an original odd. He His band was uh, uh, The Winners and they were great. And he had a, he and Doug were the first people I met who were in 15 bands at the same time. I was just busy trying to push one rock up a mountain. They were successfully pushing several. 
eventually hitched my wagon to theirs and with a friend, our friend Paul Brennan, who was a great drummer in a number of bands around town. Yeah. And they and they taught me a lot as at the time. I can't remember where the question was going, but they taught me a lot. And that's how the band started. But did it take you a long while to sort of get going? And, or, or was it just a constant push it was a constant push we didn't sleep much we formed an alter ego which was a shtick kind of british invasion thank you britain british invasion cover band that was uh in wigs and glasses we, that, that was dawn patrol and we we played every night most nights anyway and then in the daytime we recorded odds music and worked on that and eventually that it was a few years of that it was from 1987 to 1991 we did that and we did it constantly and we recorded and wrote and recorded and wrote and eventually making a long story short some people in los angeles noticed and we got our start making our first actual album i didn't realize that neapolitan was was self-produced yeah your, your first album yeah all of our records oh no i didn't see yeah. I, didn't, I didn't read that bit so. well, well the um the ones that say produced by nigel the cat that was the name of my cat <laughs> and so we thought that you know in our tribute to loving all music that was british we liked the fact that all the british producers had these names like lampshade or flood or and so we just said produced by Nigel the cat because we thought it would give us some kind of mystique right. and that people would take us more seriously that it was produced by somebody hip. It was actually just my cat. Wait, I got to dial it back a bit. I've got to give credit to the fact that our Bedbugs album was produced, co-produced by Jim Rondinelli, who you'd notice on the credits for Matthew Sweet and Wilco and Tragically Hip, etc. Oh, okay. And then our first record, Neapolitan, was mixed by the amazing Susan Rogers, Prince, Michael Penn, David Byrne, etc. And yeah. she also recorded Good Weird Feeling. And then had a big, knocked it out of the park with Bare Naked Ladies, stunt album. Oh, oh and stunt. Mm -hmm. oh, that's quite a pedigree. She is amazing. If anybody wants a fascinating story in music, it's Susan Rogers. So I have to look her up and have a read. Funnily enough, me saying that I never really listened to much else... Bare Naked Lady is quite consistent from the get-go since Gordon came out. It's probably one of the only bands I ever listened to outside of, at the time, like Jeff Healy or whoever. It was I had to pretend I didn't like them. Why is that? Because <laughs> you, you were you were hanging out with heavy blues cats. Yeah, basically. I, was, I used to. My friend, my best friend at the time, he travelled to Canada quite a lot with his parents, and he came back one day with his cassette in his hand. It was Gordon, and he's going, "This is the best thing ever." And he played it. His his mum was the only mum that would let us have a car to go out of a weekend, so we had to listen to his music in the car. And he put Gordon on all the time. And to be quite honest with you, I thought that Stephen Page sounded very similar to George Michael. <laughs> he would love that. Really? Oh, he would love that. He loves George. Why, why wouldn't you? I mean, he used to play it and I go, oh, God, not this again. But secretly in the back, I would, I would say, he <laughs> just jump bouncing up and down. No, I don't like it. No, it's rubbish. <laughs> well, we, we were great. We really admired them. And I think at the beginning, I, I, I would say I didn't get it. I, you know, when I first heard Bare Naked Ladies, it didn't, it was just on the radio and I went, oh, oh that's interesting. Uh, and it, not no opinion, you know, I really didn't get it. 
And then um, they came in to the club we play. We're playing with the Dawn Patrol and saw us. They were recording in Vancouver. They, we had met sort of before that. And we became instant friends. We realized we had so much in common and approached music in so many of the similar ways. And they were very supportive of us in our pursuit of getting our records out there. And we in turn are supporters of theirs. And it's turned into a great relationship between us to this day as far as our work with Stephen or my work with Stephen and the band's work with Stephen. And we've had all these fantastic videos you've been putting out. Alcohol was fantastic. Loved that. Was that yesterday? I think. Was that yesterday's one? I don't I can't tell one day from the next. <laughs> I'm struggling at the minute. That was good. That's one of my favorite songs of, of theirs, um, Alcohol, funnily enough. And how hard is that to put together? Are you all playing together on online or each of them are live performances to an iPhone by each person, but then we amalgamate them in the computer basically and line them all up and there be they that becomes the performance of the four of us together. There's no way to do it over the internet without what's called latency. So that yeah. one, one person is out of time with the other person. So we you get your one or two takes of your iPhone performance and you do it to a similar click or guide track and then you combine them. Yeah, I was going to say, so it's just a, yes, just syncing them up and it works a treat. It's amazing. You'd think that you're all sort of listening to each other at this while you're all playing. It's fantastic. You are doing that. You're listening. It's sort of like passing it on, like the tin can and the string. One person, oh, okay. start, one person starts, passes it to the next person. So the... The fourth person is playing to the other three. So it's sort of like a, it's sort of a pass it on kind of thing. So all the performances are informed by the other people. You're listening to what the other person did. And if you don't give yourself more than one or two cracks at it and you videotape it so so you can't lie about it, you can't, if you were to overdub it, you'd see it. So you just kind of, it, it makes it live because yeah. you're you're still out on a wire and you're still listening to each other it's all clever stuff have you got any more planned well we've done two with the odds and the one trans canada highwayman one and yeah we want to keep doing it it's a bit labor intensive when you're doing other things and just to sort of meet up on virtually and do it but we're doing our best do you have any corner gas questions i'll do my best no and i I was just really uh, it was just really the season three stuff. Is it? I know that they're starting work on season four. Have you been pulled into that yet? I just wait. I just I'm the last person to find out. I'm sort of one of the last pieces in the chain of production. So I I get in early on episodes, but well after they're written and half put together, and then I put the music on, and Brent and I talk about what works and what doesn't, and then I move on to the next one. I don't know about four. But uh, here's, here, here's hoping. Yeah, I mean, because I, I spoke to David's story about a month ago and yeah. he told me about it. And I immediately said, am I allowed to tell anybody that? <laughs> Is that yeah. He said, oh, yeah. I mean, it's not I don't think it, he said it's not guaranteed at the moment. They've just been allowed to sort of get a head start on it, so to speak. It hasn't been green lit. Yeah, I was going to say litted. It hasn't been. The green light hasn't been flashed yet, but they have been told, get going. And then we're going to see what happens after that. I would be surprised if season four didn't because happen because season three is so good. It's very, it? very funny. Yeah. I still haven't seen any of them yet, the animated ones. 
Really? How come? They haven't released it over here yet, and nobody's offered it to me, and I don't like to ask, to be quite honest. I I don't like to... Can you not watch it on IGTV? When they announced that, I did a bit of digging around, and it was supposed to be released over here January time, I think, and it it hasn't happened. I will get it eventually. It just makes my life a lot harder. (laughs) I can't write. I'm still writing about the old show, and to be honest, it's more important to me to write about or talk about anything other than the show. In my, in my okay. opinion, Corner Gas doesn't need me to help promote it. It's got a big engine behind it that's doing that. Uh, I'm essentially just a fan doing my thing. So in my opinion, it's more important that I tell people about stuff you're doing or Fred's got a new film out or Nancy's doing this voiceover on this thing. Go and see that. If you like her in this, go and see that other thing. Yeah. Because those other things haven't got the engines behind them. And a lot of them have done independently and have cost somebody a lot of money and they need people to know that they're out there. And yeah. I, I, that's what I prefer doing. Oh, that's great. I, I like that. That's a that's noble. I should really let you go. Well, uh, yeah, I've got to move on. I've got to make some music for your, your favorite show. I'll ask you one last thing then, one cheeky mm-hmm. thing. If somebody wanted to become a member of Odds, a strapping, nearly young guitar player with a lovely accent, yeah. Um, how would he go about? Well, first you got to take one of the either myself or Murray out of the picture. So you've really got to think about a slow poison or something. You know, first plan your crime, and <laughs> then and then really make friends with Doug and Pat. It's going to involve a lot of food for Pat, <laughs> uh, sort of quasi vegan fare, and uh, and then maybe a lot of food. And then some more food and maybe beer. And for Doug and Pat, like delicious beer. I think by the time they're really drunk, you're in the band. Really? Is, yeah. Is that simple? Just slight misdemeanor and beer? I'm not so sure uh, it's a slight misdemeanor to kill a person, but sure. Well, it, it depends how much um, evidence you leave and if you get caught in the long run. To be well, honest. I suppose you could tanya harding the situation and just <laughs> break some hands yeah i couldn't possibly do that I, there, there must be must be a simpler way to do that sort of um how about like uh some sort of ambiance provider like um bez out there happy mondays with a, with a uh, bless him <laughs> sure that's that i hope that answers your questions well, it, it does actually. I shall go go I'll go and plan plan the uh, the the murder come beer fest as soon Good. as I leave the room. When you, <laughs> when you try to edit this down to an interesting twenty minutes, you'll want to kill me first, not Murray, <laughs> not Murray. So there we are. That was my little chat. Does that mean I'm in odds? I think it does. We didn't really seal the deal, but I'm pretty sure that I am. A member. I duly did. I should get a little membership card or something, maybe a badge very soon through the post or being well. I'd look good on the front of an album cover. Now, while I was editing up this episode, I realized that I kind of mentioned album names and videos and bits and bobs and didn't give them any real reference as to what they actually were. They were just names. And some of you might not know what they were. So apologies for that, and I was going to tell you about all of them now, but basically all you need to do is go to 
Odds website. Look up all their albums. Neapolitan was one we mentioned. That was their very first album. And uh, I mentioned Colin James. We talked about him and his album Fuse, which Craig wrote on. And so just go out and check out all this great music. The videos we mentioned were ones that Craig and Odds and the Trans Canada Highwaymen. I always struggle with that. I always want to say Trans Canadian. Trans-Canada Highwaymen did a load of videos uh, while we were all in lockdown and they're on YouTube so check those out just google them and you'll find everything you need to know so there we go thank you for listening once again I have another episode coming out with the lovely Lawn Cardinal that'll be with you as soon as possible uh, until then enjoy yourselves stay safe and I'll speak to you soon cheery bye <laughs>